My favorite holidays of the year. I'm sure you all anticipated that I was going to be saying that. But, but before Thursday comes Wednesday, right? Be- before we get to Thanksgiving Day, we've got, we've got Wednesday. And I look forward this Wednesday to our Thanksgiving Eve service. The, the, the Thanksgiving Eve service is one of my favorites here at Trinity, where we have this opportunity to come together to share about what God has been doing in our lives. And if you want to prepare to, to share that night, in a very uh, kind of comfortable, relaxed place, uh, I would encourage you to read Isaiah 12 because we're going to be going through that chapter just as a way to guide our reflections together, guide our sharing of, of what we're thankful for as we think back uh, over this past year. So, so join us. We're going to be here from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Very important that we, you know that we are going to hold strictly to that time because we know there are many things you need to do to prepare for the, the next day of giving thanks together with family and friends. You know, um, the greatest thing we have to be thankful for as followers of Jesus, is the fact that Jesus sent his son into this world, right? That, that, that's, I, I know it doesn't seem like uh, necessarily the most important thing, but it is the most important thing we have to give thanks for. Practically speaking, we, we, we think about different things like uh, the blessing of relationships or uh, our health or our strength or whatever it would be. But at the end of the day, the most important, the greatest thing that we can be thankful for is God sending his son Jesus to this earth. You know, the background to that situation, to that, that gift, is that, that, that God's people had received a promise long ago that he would send a, a savior, that he would send someone who would redeem the people of God from their sins. And it was a gift that, that Israel waited for faithfully, because not just that they thought one day it might happen, but because they knew that one day that gift would be theirs to hold on to. They, they waited with a faith like this, like, uh, like how the author of Hebrews describes it. I don't know if uh, any of you men were at Square One this past week, but Square One, the men's Bible study on Thursday morning, helped me think about my sermon for this morning. So thank you, men. Um, I, I, if this sermon goes well, I credit myself, and if it goes poorly, I credit you. So uh, we, uh, we were looking at, we're getting into the book of Hebrews together as men on Thursday mornings, and, and we looked at this one passage that hit me like a ton of bricks, saying, that's faith. This is how the people of Israel waited for God to, to gift them this promise that he'd made for them. It's in Hebrews 9. Let me read it for us. And the author says this, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Eagerly waiting for God to send his son Jesus again. Does that describe your faith when you think about the fact that you believe that you have a faith? That that your faith is more than just believing uh, correctly. It's more than an orthodoxy. It's more than having the right facts in line in your mind and in your heart. But it's actually waiting with a, a bit of anticipation and eagerness for God to fulfill the promise that he's made is that how, how, how you might describe your faith? The eagerness and excitement and joy and anticipation for what you know will come true? Here's the thing. This is what Advent is all about, right? So, so you may uh, say, how are we skipping through Thanksgiving so quickly? We're not skipping through it. We're celebrating it in the midst of expanding out our experience of Advent, right? Our Advent should be uh, filled with Thanksgiving, filled with joy, filled with excitement and anticipation, Because we are eagerly waiting 
for God to fulfill a promise which we know will come true, right? It's a conviction that, 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 that what we know that God has promised will absolutely not just be true, is true now, right? It's kind of like um, when we first got our dog. When, my, when we went to go pick up the puppy for the first time, my wife and Eliza, my daughter, stayed home. Right? It was a little bit of too long of a drive for them to spend in the car all day. So uh, they stayed at home, and, and Eliza knew what we were doing. She knew that when we went to Massachusetts that, that we were going to be going to pick up her puppy, her Marley, right? She, she knew Marley was her puppy even though she hadn't yet seen him, even though she hadn't yet held him. And so she waited with excitement. I, I was getting texts from Tara throughout the day that this was the only thing that Eliza could think about, right, while we were away. She, she knew that we would be coming back with her dog. And, and in the midst of her excitement, she, she experienced such joy, not because she couldn't wait for that moment to come, but because she was so happy that it was true that she was going to have a chance to hold her puppy in her hands. It was her puppy. It was her Marley, right? I'll never forget the look of joy and delight on her face when Marley came out of the car for the first time. Right? When he came out of the car and jumped in her arms, she was overwhelmed with joy, that she could finally hold this gift which she knew was coming in her own hands. She'd been certainly living with that joy and excitement. Like I said, she was so excited before Marley got there. But at that moment when, when Marley arrived, her joy, her excitement spilled over in a way that's hard to, to capture, hard to describe, hard to remember. So luckily my wife captured uh, this photo of her meeting Marley face to face for the first time. See, I think this is what it looks like to have a faith. This year, we've been exploring this idea of believing through the lenses, through the life of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And as we enter into Advent, I want us to continue to think about what does it mean to believe? Because here in Advent, we get this picture of what it means to believe. To, to wait eagerly, not to wait passively, not to, not to say, well, it's true, but it's not true right now, so I'm going to kind of float through life, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of let the days pass me by, right? But to wait with eager expectation and joy. This is why Advent is so meaningful to us, because it gives us the opportunity to, to practice seeing our faith grow as we wait with eager expectation. And so if you, if you can understand this is what God wants for his people, it's not just to believe the right things about God, but it's to believe in them in such a way that our joy is building day after day after day. Because one day, the curtains on this world will be pulled back. Uh, one day, there will be a sheet that's pulled off of the gift that's sitting in the middle of the living room on Christmas morning. And when that day comes, Jesus will be ushering into our presence the, the finality, the, the final pieces of his kingdom, where we will celebrate, where our joy and excitement will not just be starting, but it will overflow at that point. Because he will return. And we know this with confidence, with conviction, with assurance. You know, Isaiah tells us in chapter 9 that, that a light has dawned. A son has been given to us. What a celebration that should be, right? Not that we're here at the end of thanks or end of November, starting December, and we're hoping that we'll be excited by the time Christmas comes. Our joy is full today. Our joy, it can be full today as we lean and as we think about what does it mean to believe in this promise that's been made to us. 
For John the Baptist, his eager waiting started in the wilderness, right? His, his, his waiting with anticipation, with joy, with excitement happened for him in the wilderness where he was clothed in camel hair, eating locusts and honey, standing beside the water, yelling at people, preaching to people, proclaiming God's word. But, but this is also the place where that curtain was pulled back for him. Earlier this year when we were working through the first chapter of John, you, you remember that moment in John's ministry when, when he sees Jesus coming and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. You know, it wasn't just like a, oh, Behold, look who it is, guys. This was this moment of celebration, this excitement, because the, the promise which has been made is fulfilled in this moment where, where the curtain has been pulled back and he sees the arrival of this sun that's been born, this light that's been dawned, this breaking in of this new era, as, as he might know it. And so it was a great moment of celebration for John. But, but for us this morning, we, we want to back up. We want to back up in John's story and, and think about what does it mean to wait eagerly. Because I think as we look at John's life, I think we see a good example of what it means to wait with eager expectation. So if you will, I'm going to read for us from Luke chapter 3. A, a passage in Luke chapter 3 that describes John's ministry pretty well for us. And, and feel free to follow along in your pew Bible or read it on the screen as, or just even listen and receive God's word as I read it for us. We read this in Luke chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Draconitus and Lacinius tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of Isaiah, the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that your word would not return to you void, but would be fruitful and effective in our lives. It would transform us from the inside out. That, that the light dawning on a people would be true for us this morning. That, 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 that your word would scatter the darkness in our world and in our life, lives. Lord, bless this time in your word. May it be used for your glory, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we read this passage, I hope you notice that, that the calling of John the Baptist came to him as he waited eagerly. And, and it was a calling that came to, a, to him as a particular word, in a particular place, at a particular time, to a particular person. See, though John's calling is particular to him, I believe that as we look at his life, as we, as we kind of think about who he was and how God used him, I think we'll see how God would also want to work in our lives, how he'd want to shape or how he'd want to invite us to live with this eager waiting and this eager expectation. If we follow the text this morning, the Gospel of Luke, you'll notice that, that the calling of John came at a particular time. And it's interesting to, to note how or when this happened. 
In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, with Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod and Philip and Licinius as tetrarchs, right? There, there's this very specific time that, that we look at in the history of the world. See, Tiberius was a Roman emperor. He, he didn't have anything to do necessarily with the Jewish people, with, with the nation of Israel. He, he, he was someone who was separate. He was, as we might say today, secular. He was an unbeliever. He was someone outside the people of God in that day. And to see him recorded in the Bible should seem a little bit funny to us, right? Because this is God's word. And so here Luke draws our attention to the fact that John the Baptist was in the wilderness in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius. This is probably around 28 or 29 AD because Tiberius reigned from 14 AD to 37 AD. So if you add the 15, right, see my math, 15 to 14 is, I guess it's 29 AD, right? Anyway, the, 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 the rulers were secular rulers in that day. So why, why is Luke putting this, this in there? And not only that, why is he also noting when, when Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests of the Jewish people, were, were also ruling and reigning within the temple, right? See, I, I think that, that obviously Luke does this for a purpose, right? I mean, if it's in our Bible, it's there for a purpose. But by naming these leaders... John the Baptist is placed within the history of the world at a particular point. Luke finds it important to tell us that that when John the Baptist came, when he received his calling and and his ministry, it came at a particular point in history. And I think it's doing that because I think Luke wanted to, to mark the moment to set a mile marker to kind of remind us that this wasn't just something that happened, but it was something that happened in the history of the world. It's similar to why we remember uh, this, our anniversary dates, right? It's, it's this entrance into a new era. It's this beginning of something new and fresh. A light has dawned, right? And so Luke wants to mark when that light has dawned, when that new era has begun, I, I know for myself, uh, uh, Tara and I were, were married on June 25th, 2005. A new era had begun for me and for Tara, right? By the way, let's play a fun game. Man, I'm going to call on you, and I want you to tell me when your anniversary is. Who wants to play? Anyone? No? No takers? Okay. No, I, it, it's, I'm not going to put anyone on the spot. I won't do that to you, but... But it's, it's something to think about. When we remember these dates, when we remember our birthdays, when we celebrate these moments, we're celebrating this new era that's begun, right? It's important to us. And so Luke wants, to just, wants us to remember not just from within the, the Jewish world, but from within, the, world of, uh, within the, the, the space of world history, when John the Baptist was called to, to ministry in the wilderness, so John the Baptist's calling came at a particular time, but it also came in a particular place, as I just mentioned. In Luke 3, 2, Luke records that the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now, the wilderness was a, a, a word that holds uh, theological significance, right? It, it, was, it, it carried with it meaning and, 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 uh, and importance to the people of Israel. The, 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 the wilderness was a word that, that described aspects or times of Israel's history. After they were uh, led out of slavery in Egypt, where did they go? The wilderness, right? The desert. It's the same thing. It's this dry and barren land, right? After uh, Jesus' baptism, where does he go? For 40 days and 40 nights. 
and to be tempted by Satan, he goes into the wilderness, right? For John the Baptist, he, 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 we're told that he lived in the wilderness. He grew up there until the day of his public ministry. Significant things happened in the wilderness for the people of Israel. It was a place that held meaning for them. It was a place that when they, when they heard about it, it was not just a flippant, oh, yeah, it's uh, down by sunny days on the corner of North Benson and, and Post Road. That was a significant place for them. It, it held meaning. But, but the wilderness was also the place that Israel anticipated their salvation to come from. Over 700 years before Jesus was born, the, the words of, of Isaiah the prophet record these, these words in Isaiah 40, verse 3. He says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Right, so Israel was aware of this prophecy through Isaiah uh, way before Jesus was born, way before John the Baptist was born, that, that salvation would come from the wilderness. That, that in the wilderness, they are to prepare the way of the Lord. In the wilderness, they're to make straight a, a highway for our God. See, for John to, to wait eagerly and faithfully, he had to be in the right place at the right time. John, John knew that, that his ministry was calling him to be in the wilderness. Now, I don't think that that's necessarily true for all of us, that, that we're to pack up all our things, sell our things, and go move out into the, the, the wilderness of Connecticut. But I think there is something to be said for where we are, Right? considering the places we are to eagerly wait upon the Lord. See, there are a lot of decisions we can make with our time. There's a lot of decisions we can make with the places we go and the things we do and how we spend our time. And you know what? I get it. We're all very busy. One of the descriptors of Fairfield County is a busyness that is hard to, to, to kind of break into or overcome. We all live busy lives. And yet, in the busyness... Are we allowing our schedules to dictate our, our values, our importance, the, the things we do? Or are we going to manage our schedules to accomplish what we believe God has put on our heart, right? Our schedules should allow us to be in the right place at the right time. And I believe, I believe that that's in a relationship of discipleship. That we, that we should, the, the place we should be is sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning from him, growing to be more like him, trusting in him more and more, waiting eagerly on, on the man of God that we are coming to know in Jesus. And that means that, that here at Trinity, we can only encourage you to take advantage of the ways that you can grow as a disciple. Right? We, we, we believe that at Trinity, the way you become a, a disciple is by loving God, loving others, serving others, and continuously growing, right? Loving God, we need, to, we need to be together on Sunday morning. We need to worship him together. We need to, to fall deeper in love with him as we sing songs of praise, as we spend time in prayer, as we, as we open the word of God together. We need to allow God to shape our hearts in love for him. We need to learn how to love others. We need to be in a place where we can practice what the Bible teaches us of loving one another. That, that may mean Bible studies for some. That may mean joy in the morning on Tuesday mornings for you women or, or, or square one on Thursday mornings. That may be one of the small groups that we have here or, or, or even, even serving on a ministry team. You know, I've heard, oh, I love this. I've heard that the choir feels like a small group to many of the choir members, and it should, right? As we serve together, 
we should feel like that's, those are our people where we can practice loving them, caring for them. We need to be in the right place. John the Baptist was in the wilderness. For us, it's to put ourselves in the places where we can grow in our knowledge and our, our likeness of Jesus. Are you, are, are you in the right place at the right time? Are you making a priority to, to grow more like Jesus? See, God wants to, to meet with us. And, and he will meet with us in a particular place. And I believe that place is discipleship. I can't encourage us enough, Trinity. I, I want you to, to feast on the word of God yourself. I want you to grow more like Jesus, not just, because, not just through the, the words that I proclaim on Sunday morning or, 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 or how I hold up God's word, but through your own walk with Jesus. Be in the right place. Put yourself in that place. No matter how busy your schedule is. I once had someone who, he's not a, well, he's a, he's a, a mentor of mine, but it's, I don't have a relationship with him. I just like to read his stuff a lot. But I did see him one time at a conference, and, and he talked, we were talking about how it's hard to maintain a, a, a quiet time every day, right? To, to have the space and time. He goes, Dan, you're not going to find that time. You have to make it. Right? You have to cut something out or wake up early or stay up later. Whatever you have to do, you have to make that time to meet with God. That's, that's true for us. We have to make the time to meet with God in the right place and, and at the right time. And so lastly, not only does God want us to, to be in a particular place, but also John the Baptist waited eagerly in a, 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 for a particular word from God. Right? Verses 2 through 6 of our passage. During the, the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it's written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. See, John's calling in ministry was, was to morally and spiritually prepare the people of God for Jesus' arrival. In the ancient Near East, before a king would visit a, a village or a town or a place, the, the people would go ahead of him, and they would fix the roads up. They would smooth out the, pass, uh, the passageways. They would prepare, uh, kind of clean it up and, and, and get it prepared for his arrival. And so John's ministry is that type of preparation for arrival. This Thursday, you're going to be cleaning your houses, or maybe Wednesday, you'll be cleaning your houses. This Thursday, you're going to be preparing food, right? You're going to be going through all these preparations to welcome people, to host them in your home. If you're going to someone else's home, rest assured that they're preparing their house for your arrival, right? We get this. And, and that's what John's ministry was in the wilderness, through, through not cleaning up the roads, physically speaking, but through cleaning up the, the hearts and minds of the people of Israel, his ministry was to preach and proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins and a baptism that symbolized this, right? And so what was unique about this baptism is that it was meant for everyone. Typically in, in the, the uh, people of, within the, the, the community of the people of God, baptism held certain uh, significances. Significance, I? Sig significance, plural. 
Boom, end of sentence. Uh, there was significance there, right? And, and so they would, they would see it as an opportunity to cleanse themselves before worship, right? They, they would see it as an opportunity to, to purify themselves before they entered into the temple to, to worship God, to spend time with him, to, to make sacrifices. But there was a third option for baptism. It's called proselyte baptism. And it was, it was set apart for those non-Jewish people who desired to convert to Judaism, to, to join the people of God, right? And, and the reason why is because the people of God saw foreigners and, and, and non-Jewish people, non, uh, non-members of the Israelite family, to, to be unclean. And, and so in order for them to join and convert to Judaism, they needed to be baptized, to, to symbolically be cleansed in order to join the family of God. So, you know, by... Um, process of elimination, it seems most because of where John is, he's, in, he's out in the wilderness, he's, he's far from a temple, that, that John's baptism would be most likely to be this proselyte baptism. But here's the thing, the baptism that John offers is, is not being offered to the Gentiles, he's offering it to the people of God. He's offering it to those who are already a part of the, the body of, of, of the nation of Israel, and so he, he's actually saying, and I, and I believe this is true, that, that, that the baptism he's offering is something that, that all of us need. That this, this smoothing out of our hearts, this making way in the wilderness of our hearts and our lives to, to, to find forgiveness, that we might turn and see this light that has dawned, Right? John's inviting the Jewish people to turn back toward God, to to look to God for their salvation, and to look to God and see the fulfillment of his promises. Something new was happening here. Something new was going on. A, a, A light had dawned that John wanted his people, God's people, to see. But in order for them to see it, in order for them to be aware of what God was doing, he had to prepare their hearts. And he prepared their hearts through preaching and proclaiming this baptism for the forgiveness of sins. See, this isn't the first time that this language of crooked pathways was found within the nation of Israel. Back in Deuteronomy, the path, the crooked path that's talked about by Moses is not an actual road or a highway, but it's in reference to the people of God, to the people of Israel. Right? Moses writes this in Deuteronomy 32. The rock... His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. And, and this described not just them, not just this generation, but every generation that followed. A crooked and twisted generation. But get this. God's children had become crooked and twisted and turned away from God, but God's not done, right? God, God is going to work in these people. He's, he's promised to, to save them, to redeem them, to, 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 to make a way for them in the desert. It goes on in verse 9 of Deuteronomy 32. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, his allotted heritage. He found him in a desert land, and in the howling waste of the wilderness, he encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. See, God's salvation comes in the wilderness. 
God's salvation encircles his people in the wilderness to guard, to protect, to to redeem them, to save them. And that day would come when John the Baptist is standing beside the Jordan River and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, John cried out for people to repent. He cried out for people to to turn afresh, to turn anew to to God, to to seek forgiveness, to, to seek this cleansing that only he could give or that only Jesus could offer. He he challenged people that they too might see something special, that they might see the salvation of God. What does Luke record for us in in chapter 3, verse 6? And all flesh, all flesh shall see the salvation of God. All flesh, not just the nation of Israel, all flesh would see the salvation of God See, God called on a particular person in a particular place at a particular time to proclaim a particular word so that all flesh might see the salvation of God. And because John was faithful in eagerly waiting for God to fulfill his promises, we are able to see what God will do. Because John was faithful in waiting in the desert, proclaiming this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, we too can join with all flesh in joyfully celebrating God's salvation, right? See, I think John the Baptist is an example of what it means to wait eagerly. He lived into his ministry and his calling. He was called to preach and proclaim this baptism of this forgiveness of sins, this repentance, this baptism that symbolized it. And he was faithful to do that. He didn't hunger for greatness. He didn't long for more and more. He was faithful to his calling and to God's will for his life. See, a a light has dawned. A, A new era has begun And all of this unfolded during John's faithful and eager waiting in the desert. Can you think about what God wants to do through your faithful and eager anticipation of Jesus' return? God's not asking for you to solve the world's problems. God's not asking you to do more than you're able to do. But he has uniquely gifted you and prepared you to be faithful in your calling. I don't have to be like Margie or Clayton. I don't have those gifts. Right? I have the gifts that God has given me to be faithful in my calling to what he wants me to do, just as you do. I am confident that God is not calling us to be superstars. He's calling us to wait faithfully and eagerly for Jesus' return by living in God's will for our lives. Can this be said of us, Trinity? Is that how people might describe our faith? That we are a people who wait eagerly. That we're a joyful people. Not because the promise will one day be true, but because we believe it's already true. And one day that joy will overflow when when the curtain's pulled back, when Jesus returns, and when his kingdom is ushered into its finality. See, I, I think we have much to be thankful for this Thursday. I think we have much to celebrate and give thanks for. And, and though I don't want to move too quickly past Thanksgiving, I want to encourage us to remember Advent, not technically, but Advent has begun. 
right? Technically, by the way, Advent begins on the first Sunday in December. But, but here, as we think about our faith growing, our eager anticipation has begun. See, God can use your family's celebration of Thanksgiving to teach you to wait eagerly for what's even greater than all you could imagine, all you have to be thankful for this Thursday. You think about the joy we have in the families we celebrate with or the, the gifts we, we, we remember, the blessings we take hold of and give thanks for. But those are a shadow of the gratitude we can have in waiting on Jesus, our Savior. So in the midst of your preparations, in the midst of your shopping and your planning and your parties, in the midst of, in the midst of it all, can I challenge you? Center your heart on Jesus. I'm eagerly waiting for his return. You know what? We too, we too have a particular word. And it's given to a particular people. And it was given at a particular time. We are those people. And that word is this, found in Matthew 28. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Trinity, let's center our hearts on Jesus. Let's center our hearts on this idea that we too have a calling. We have a ministry. It it may get even more particular within that, but we all share that calling that God has given us a particular word at a particular time to a particular people, his people that we would make disciples. That's what we're about here at Trinity. We need to be about making disciples, only ever about making disciples. And we may have different gifts and different ways that we fulfill that. But in all of that, we will wait eagerly as we live in God's calling for our lives as disciples making disciples. Let's eagerly await his return. And when that day comes, may our joy, which is already present in our lives, overflow to great celebration because we held, we knew with conviction and assurance that this day was coming. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I do thank you that that you have had a particular word for us. I thank you that in John the Baptist we can see his eager waiting in the desert. And he didn't wait with pomp and circumstance, but he waited faithfully in the calling that you have given to him. Lord, I pray that that would be true of us. That that as we walk through Advent, that we would celebrate this, this new era which has begun. A light has dawned. And so we will wait eagerly on you and on Jesus' return. May this Advent uh, grow such excitement and anticipation and joy in celebrating the fact that Jesus has come and he will come again. Lord, we are your disciples. Have your way in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.